chapter 10, verse 1, we see a prayer by the Apostle Paul. You know, as I read, as I read through scriptures over the last 40, 50 years, it seems like there's no one. I mean, there's many, you know, in the Old Testament. You think of Daniel, who has such a heart for the Lord, heart for prayer and intercession for his people. He trusted the prophet Jeremiah and his words about God returning them. And, uh, but Paul, uh, it just seems like he has just such a heart, such a passion to follow over uh, the path of Yeshua and to imitate him in his life. And uh, not just to bring in the gospel, but in sharing his life and working hard, being an example to everyone wherever he goes. But anyway, this is his prayer in Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them, for their salvation. And I believe Jesus, Yeshua, we call him in Hebrew, means God's salvation, is answering Paul's prayer today. That he is restoring Israel physically and spiritually to himself. How many of you have heard for One for Israel? Have you heard for that on the podcast? Yeah? Those are good friends of ours, headed up by Aaron Soref, who's the president of the Israel College of the Bible. But we have many other brothers that teach there and work there and are bringing the gospel in different languages, in uh, Hebrew, in Arabic, in Russian, and uh, it's just amazing. There was one guy that got saved, I think I told you about him last time, his name was Jihad. Jihad means a holy war against the Jews. Well, he was down the Gaza Strip, and the Lord opened his heart, like he did with Lydia, and he became a believer in Yeshua. And he and his whole family began following the Lord while their lives were in danger because he came from a Muslim background. Chad, you know what that means. So, we had to get him out of there, get him to a safe place. We won't say where, but he's safe <laughs> today. And of course, God is our protector. Psalm 91 is awesome just to go through and see how the Lord is our shield, our refuge, our high tower, and how he keeps us in almost impossible situations. Well, he's kept us in Israel now 40 years. We live in a beautiful area called the Galilee or Tiberias, our Flat, we're actually house sitting. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee, which is, let's see, 13 miles long and about eight miles across. Wow. And uh, we also see Mount Hermon, when it, especially when it's filled with snow and the waters melt down to the Hatspani and other rivers and become the Jordan River, go right through the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I've had the privilege of baptizing a lot of people because the pastors call me up, Ted, can you do this? Well, I'm retired now, so I can do things like that. <laughs> it's fun. And... Uh, the Lord does special things. One special uh, brother that I baptized is Tovik, an Israeli, uh, born in Israel, but served in the army and then went to Hawaii. And uh, Lyndon, I had the privilege of giving him his first uh, scriptures in Hebrew. That's what he told us. We met his family. And uh, sometime later, uh, Tovik had totally given his heart to Yeshua his Messiah, as his Messiah. And he said, Ted, would you baptize me? So we went up to the Jordan River, uh, up in the north, and it was running quite quickly, and I'd hurt my arm, so my arm was kind of like this. Well, Tovik went in stream, and he went downstream. It was really cool. So I had to swim after him and bring him back and baptize him there. But it was great. Tovik's father brought back about 900 Jews from China, Mr. Lieberman. He was good friends of Menachem Begin, former prime minister. 
And uh, this is a promise the Lord made in Jeremiah 16, but also it's all through the scriptures, Ezekiel 36 to 39, about how the Lord in the latter days would regather his people from the nations, from the north, from the south. We have many Ethiopian Jews living in Israel, many who are believers actually, as well as from the west, they're beginning to come home from the US, as well as Canada, South America, and from the east, even uh, from China. We call this in Hebrew, the land of Sinim, the land of Sinim in your Bibles. You see that in Isaiah. Uh, but the Lord is doing this, and he's bringing them back in unbelief. But when they come back to the land, guess what? Many are coming to their Messiah. Just like the Lord promised, he would give, take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh to know him, to reveal himself to them. And he's doing that through the body, your brothers and sisters, your family in Israel, both Jews and Arabs who are bringing the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins in the Messiah. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has not given us the spirit of fear, Paul said, but a spirit of what? Power, love, and a sound mind, well-bounced mind. And so the greatest thing you can do, I believe, is share your faith, your testimony, what God has done for you personally with others around you your family, your friends, your neighbors. You know, being with Joe and Lisa has been a real blessing for Linda and I uh, because Joe doesn't just talk the talk or Lisa, but they walk the walk. And that's not always easy, is it? Amen. But God has given us the grace to say no to sin, to evil, and to say yes to our Father in heaven and to please him, to live our lives for him. Instead, what a blessing. What a blessing. Okay, so uh, anyway, I want to bring you greetings from Anita Rose in Arizona. Also, Dr. Jason and his wife, Gabby, and their girls, Bella, Shoei, and Noe, as well as from Las Vegas, uh, from Rich and Rhonda Cromwick. And uh, they send their love. They love this place, even though they're not here with us. So greetings from them. And uh, anyway, Linda and I have had the privilege uh, to live in kibbutzim in Israel. This is a collective settlements where we learned Hebrew, uh, the language that the Bible was written in. And uh, it goes from right to left. They actually say that's the right way to read. <laughs> so if you're dyslexic, there may be hope for you. <laughs> Anyway, for Linda, uh, for me, it was like sitting in the dentist chair learning a, another language. Uh, for Linda, she did quite well. She actually is a Hebrew teacher, so if you want to learn Hebrew, just see Linda after the meeting. <laughs> and uh, anyway, also taught at Calvary Chapel on the Bible and missions and church history. That was a lot of fun uh, with brothers and sisters there who were serving the Lord. And uh, we uh, opened our home in Jerusalem to two fellowships, Brit Yerushalayim and another called Sukkot David, means Tabernacle of David, which started, and Sukkot David is still going strong. It's a Hebrew fellowship. And uh, they're reaching out to a lot of Ethiopians that came up, a lot of children. Actually, it's kind of a funny story because we have a couple that we're very close to. They're very godly people, uh, David and Miriam. They say uh, Hebrew, the word for David is dudu, dudu. Another popular name is Osnat. <laughs> Can you imagine? Anyway, it was so cool. This couple, they really, really lived for the Lord, you know, and 
So it happened, they're in charge of the children's ministry, and Miriam has always had a heart to go to Africa, but she was never able to go. But guess what? God brought Africa to her when the Ethiopians came back. You've heard of the Philosian Jews? <laughs> well, God promised he'd bring them back from the south, and he has, just like he said. He, he's watching over his word, he said to Jeremiah, to perform it. Jesus Christ it's, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's what I first heard. I, I came to the Lord through the ministry of a born-again Franciscan priest who told me, you must be born again. I said, what is that? <laughs> I never heard of it before. I never read the Bible. I told Joe I called the book of Psalms Palms because I didn't know. <laughs> I was really stupid. And, uh, but God had mercy. And uh, anyway, this priest uh, discipled me, and I worked as an elder, as a youth elder in the Catholic Church for a while, and uh, shared the gospel with others around me, and other Catholics gave their heart to the Lord. Uh, but soon the Lord led me uh, out of Catholicism that I was raised in. And, uh, you know, in 1854, uh, Pope Pius IX declared uh, the Immaculate Conception that Mary was born without original sin. But the Bible says all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. And even Mary said, God, my Savior, my Lord, all of us need the Savior. All of us need Yeshua. The angel said his name will be called Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. The good news, if we confess our sins, it says the promise he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. What a great promise that is, that we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father, one who stands for us. The devil is always voting against you. The Lord is always voting for you, and the way that you vote will carry the election. Corey Ten Boom said that. <laughs> uh, had the privilege of meeting Corey, well, at least attending a meeting at the San Diego Sports Arena. She, of course, had by a miracle escaped from a concentration camp. Her dad and sister weren't so fortunate, or brother. Uh, but I heard her speak in San Diego and she said, get the Bible in your heart because one day they're coming to take this book away from you. Well, I wouldn't have believed it back then, 40 years ago, but today there's a war against this book. God's word. And that's really my text tonight is first uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I was sharing that with Joe. I love this word. Okay, first Thessalonians. Here we go. We're before Timothy. Okay. Here it is. Lord, help me. <laughs> 2.13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you 
who believe. The scripture says in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2, uh, excuse me, Philippians 2, 13, God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So God's word uh, strengthens us and equips us to understand God's will, to, knew, to know what God would have us do. And he gives us the power in the, through his grace to perform it. And uh, so it's really God's initiative through the Holy Spirit in our lives as we open our hearts to him. The Spirit is our teacher and he always glorifies Jesus, doesn't he? Never points to himself. And uh, so we really praise God for the work of the, the Holy Spirit as he convicts of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come, it says. And uh, so in Israel, uh, the nation, uh, we're actually uh, 18 times, California is 18 times larger than Israel. So it's a very small country. We're only 300 miles from the north from Dan in the north or Mount Hermon all the way down to a lot, 300 miles long, 50 miles across, that's it. <laughs> we're a very small country. But God has given many, many promises to Israel and many, many prayers have went up through the generations from the prophets as well as uh, from brothers who served the Lord in the New Testament days. And uh, God is uh, at work hearing those prayers and answering them. And uh, we, uh, anyway, we have the, had the privilege of uh, serving in pro-life. Uh, when we went to Jerusalem, we heard a lecture that uh, one out of every three babies was aborted. Abortion is legal through all nine months of pregnancy, all 40 weeks in Israel. And uh, did you know that who, the World Health Organization, says that on planet Earth there's about 73 million abortions a year. 73 million. What does the Bible teach about that? It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So in Israel, uh, we're a small body, uh, when I came in tonight, there was only a few people here. I thought, well, this is like a pro-life meeting. <laughs> Not too many people come to pro-life meetings or prayer meetings usually. But uh, anyway, uh, we began just praying and seeking the Lord, asking him what he would have us do. It says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without finding fault. James 1-2. James in Hebrew is Yaakov, Yaakov. And that's where the name uh, Israel came from if we look in Genesis 32, verse 28, we see that there was a wrestling match, that someone was wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob was a very good wrestler. He didn't want to let go of this person. Guess who that was? It was Jesus, that's right. Who said that, you? Over here, over here. <laughs> that was Yeshua. We call that in theology a theophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And the words came from his lip, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel came from the lips of the Messiah himself. Israel means prince of God. So no wonder why there's such a battle with Israel. No wonder the small nation's in the headlines today. So anyway, we were in Jerusalem and we heard a social worker named Allison Marchant give a lecture about abortions, first one we ever heard. And it's almost like I felt a tap on my shoulder, find out more about this. And because uh, we, didn't, we didn't know about abortion in Israel. So we began to look into the matter, and uh, Melody Green, uh, the late 
Well, the wife of uh, Keith Green, uh, she helped us actually. She uh, gave us one of her tracts, brochures. They had Americans Against Abortion. Met with her. Uh, she's Jewish. She has a real heart for the gospel, just like Keith did. And uh, we helped uh, open the first crisis pregnancy center in Jerusalem, and a little baby was saved right away. Just an encouragement from God. Such a blessing. Uh, since then, thousands, tens of thousands of babies have been saved through the work. Praise God. And crisis pregnancy centers began to open not only in Jerusalem, but Tel Aviv and Haifa, Tiberias. Joe was asking how many now? There's over a dozen now throughout Israel. So we're just praying, interceding, standing in the gap, asking the Lord to help us. Uh, most of our best counselors are girls who've had abortions themselves and have found the Messiah, have repented, and are helping others who are without hope. And uh, anyway, we could share many great stories with you. Uh, one story in particular I'd like to share is about a lady named Daniela. Uh, Daniela had polio, and she had already had one abortion. And some volunteers from Germany uh, called our office and said, would you help her? She's pregnant. She's going to have another abortion. So just that morning, I'd been reading from Job, Job 29. And Job, in that verse, gives some messianic prophecies about the Messiah, that he would be feet for the lame, eyes for the blind. And uh, so we went to visit Daniela, and uh, she said, yeah, I'm going to have an abortion, another abortion. I've already had one. And uh, we said, well, you know, if you change your mind, uh, we will be there for you, you know, in every way with diapers or baby crib, flowers, whatever you need. And uh, so about two weeks later, we received a call from her, and she said, I was going to the abortion clinic, and I heard a voice. And the voice said, not to abort that little girl. She'd be very precious. Well, little Talia was born, and she was beautiful. She was like an Israeli Shirley temple. Just so beautiful. And uh, her boyfriend at the time, he said, are you a Messianic Jew or something? <laughs> well, he, this guy, he really loved the gospel. So we were able to share the gospel with him as well. And that's really what God is looking for, life and eternal life. I had the privilege, I was telling Joe, of sharing at Mercy Scripps Hospital in San Diego. It's a large hospital. My mother used to run the emergency ward. And I was speaking with Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Uh, Bernard Nathanson and another Jewish doctor, he's Jewish, by the way, performed over 60,000 abortions in Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. And uh, he stopped doing abortions, him and the other Jewish doctor, after doing a film called The Silent Scream. How many of you have seen that film? Very, very powerful. Well, he's done a lot of films. He was the founder of NARAL, the National Abortions Right League in the United States. He helped pass Roe versus Wade back in 73 when they threw out the Supreme Court, also threw out the Hippocratic Oath, which said that you would protect life, even the child in the mother's womb. And uh, anyway, so he became not just pro-life, but he became a believer in Jesus Christ as his Messiah. And I asked him, like, what changed his mind? He said it was all the believers who were out there praying, the Christians, because of their love for the unborn. And they asked us in Israel, why do you care? We said, because of your Messiah. He loves you. He has a plan for you. For every problem that we have, God has a solution. Is that true? Is that true for you? It's true for me. He's always there for us. 
longing for us to come to him, to humble ourselves. They asked once a great missionary, and his name was Andrew Murray in South Africa, what, at the end of his life, they said, what is the greatest need in the church today? He said it's to live surrendered lives, to be surrendered to the Lord, to allow him to use us as he wants. You know, God's not interested so much in our ability as our availability to him. He can do it. It's God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. So anyway, by the grace of God, these crisis pregnancies were established with all Israeli believers. And uh, we pray weekly with the counselor now in Tiberias. Her name is Irina. And every day is a wrestling match for life and death when you're dealing with these issues. It's not easy. Her husband uh, is the head doctor at one of our hospitals called Perea Hospital. He's head of the emergency room. And uh, anyway, the Lord is doing great things. He's the savior. He's the deliverer. He's the one that's able to solve all these issues. He's the one who's gathering the tribes back to Israel. And guess what? He's the one who's going to come back. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'll come back. And just as those early followers were looking up to heaven and watching him go up as he ascended, the two men in white, the angel said, the same Jesus will come back in the same way. Well, you know where that happened? In Jerusalem, right near the Mount of Olives, he went up. And he's going to come back in the same way. And when he hits the earth, there will be an earthquake that will split. And it's already, there's a crevice that goes down all the way to the Dead Sea, just like Ezekiel talked about. The Dead Sea will become alive, fishing again. But there's only one second coming. The word of the Lord. I had the privilege, I was telling Joe when I was uh, in England, we were in Bristol, and uh, there was a dear missionary there who uh, cared for orphans. His name was George Mueller. Well, guess what they had? George Mueller's Bible there. And I looked at this Bible. George Mueller had read through his Bible over 200 times. Any competition here? Not me. <laughs> 200 times. I mean, this brother just, he sought the Lord day and night with tears, longing to do his will. I don't think there's anyone who invested more in the gospel. Wherever he could, wherever the gospel was going out, he wanted to be a part of it and give. And you know, for those orphans, many times they didn't even have bread to eat on the table, and he'd pray, Lord, true religion's caring for the orphans and the widows. And he'd take them off the street, thousands of them. Guess what, the next morning, knock at the door, there's the baker. Hey, I had all this extra bread. Here you go, George. And he'd feed the orphans. And they'd see God answer prayer. And we had the privilege of meeting one of his disciples in Bristol. And she said, it's all true. That's, he was a man of God. He was a man that walked with God. God is longing for men and women who will walk with him in intimacy. For he made us for a relationship with him. For God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave, he gave he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life, life eternal. We have a good friend named Randy Elkhorn. He's a prolific writer. He's very pro-life as a pastor. And that he goes out to abortion clinics and counsels women, takes them out for coffee. Not just him, his wife did that too, Nancy. Nancy just went home to be with the Lord. We were kind of a family, right, Linda, for their daughter in Jerusalem, which was a privilege. But Randy has a ministry called 
uh, eternal perspectives. And I like that because that's what we need to do. And you all know Colossians 3, right? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, not on things here on earth. For when Christ appears, appears, it says we will see him, we'll appear with him, we'll be with him forever and ever. And um, when I chose this verse in Thessalonians, I thought about how Paul and Silvanus and Timothy went to this place. I mean, they were chased literally out of Philippi and yet ended up in the jail with the jailer, right? Can you imagine him and Silas at night? Says they were in stocks and they began praising the Lord at midnight. Praising the Lord, crazy, you know? Here they are in prison, in bondage, and they are worshiping the Lord. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, it says. Enter his courts with praise, for he's great and mighty. He's worthy. They knew that Jesus wasn't just their Savior, but their Lord. And uh, they were giving him glory for all their sufferings. And in the midst, what happens? An earthquake. (laughs) Their chains fall off. And even the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? He was going to take his own life because he thought the prisoners escaped. That was Roman law. If your prisoner went... You're a wanted man. And that jailer served Paul food that night. And Paul shared the gospel. And he got baptized. Him and his whole family came to the Lord. Do you want your family to be saved? Just keep praying for them, trusting the Lord. He will do it. He's our Savior. That's his job. He's not willing that any should perish. And that's, I like the vision of Joe and Lisa here, that no one, No one really should perish. We want everyone to come to repentance. We want to be able to spend eternity with people, but we have to repent. We have to turn to the Lord. We have a Savior. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we know that there's no other name. That's what we say in Israel a lot. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than God's Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we have a lot of Hebrew songs about that and uh, about Yeshua. And uh, anyway, another uh, thing we've been involved in is uh, working with uh, Israeli soldiers and with the believers, especially uh, the family of God. And there's discipleship programs. We ran a a guest house, which uh, Blessed Hope came over to, right, Joe? You guys stayed there, guest house? And uh, had a wonderful time. And... uh, These soldiers, uh, they come up before the army and then after the army for discipleship. And they learn how to uh, study the word of God, how to pray together, and how to share their faith with others and to worship together, and also to be viable in their congregation. And uh, so these young people, uh, they're really uh, focused on being a witness to others in the army and they're changing the face of Israel. So when you pray for Israel, remember these soldiers, believers that are in the front lines, men and women that are serving the Lord and are sharing their faith in the army. It's not easy, but they do it. And uh, so it's it's a great uh, program. Uh, Also, then after the army, they have a discipleship program called Arrows, where uh, our Israeli young people go out to other nations. Uh, They just got back from Zimbabwe. And... uh, are able to share the gospel uh, with other peoples. And uh, it's, it's just tremendous. You know, that's re- literally the word of the Lord going out of Jerusalem.
today. Uh, so anyway, uh, those are just a few of the programs that uh, we've been involved in. Another is a, a work where Blessed Hope Chapel, they stayed in Haifa with a dear brother named Maxime and his wife, Karina. And their three kids are like our grandkids, Adushka, they call him Adi, Sophie, and Ilan. And Maxime is a, well, like Chad, he's a wrestler. <laughs> he actually won the gold medal in the Ukraine. So he's in the Olympics. He's like one of the best. And... Uh, but Maxime uh, has a real heart for the gospel. He became a believer. He was invited to Israel to participate in the Maccabea Games, which are the Jewish Olympic Games. And he came, and he was just a brand new believer. And he couldn't stop sharing the gospel. I mean, this guy is a machine for the Lord. Wherever he goes, he just proclaims Jesus and the gospel. And uh, he is, uh, really loves these guys that come in this rehabilitation program on uh, addictions uh, to drugs and alcohol and that kind of thing and they become a part of his family and uh, he spends time with them going through the word when Joe was there I think you spent time teaching the men right Joe you what okay <laughs> Joe. so anyway uh, yeah he's a real serious really good friend him and Karina we just love them so much uh, we have another uh, friend Ella uh, Kelly good to see you here sis <laughs> Praise the Lord. Kelly fell today, right? May the Lord heal you. Jesus is our great physician. And uh, you know that already. But anyway, uh, it's always good with, with, that, with, with, with whatever health, excuse me for studying, but for uh, stutter, stuttering, <laughs> uh, whatever health issues we may have, it's always good to first come to the Lord with them and ask for his help and his intervention even before we go to the doctor. And um, anyway, uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> I forgot, Joe. Maxime. What? Oh, Maxime, okay. I wanna tell you, besides Maxime, we have uh, a woman who's like our daughter. Her name is Ellie. Uh, she's from England. And uh, she's another one who loves to proclaim the gospel. Uh, but she has, uh, she's the foster mother of two Eritrean kids. We're like their grandparents. Nolly and Benji, and uh, they're awesome. They speak fluent Hebrew, these kids, and they love Jesus very, very much. And so when we go back, we'll celebrate Nolly's birthday, actually. Uh, but anyway, these kids are, you know, growing up. They'll go in the army eventually in Israel because all the men go in for three years and the women for two years. And uh, so anyway, pray for those two kids, Nolly and Benji. And... Uh, it's really wonderful. We also have an Ethiopian son who was saved from abortion. And uh, his name is Kalkidan, which means God's covenant. We were in the Las Vegas airport and somebody said, Kalkidan, wow, that's a great word. That's from the Bible. <laughs> so anyway, uh, his mother had planned to do an abortion. We gave her a Bible in her language, which was Amharic. And uh, on Christmas, uh, my wife said, hey, Ted, we should really bring these guys home. So we did. We brought Asalovich's mother and Kalkidan to our home, and we became Kalkidan's parents. And uh, at least he called me Abba and her, Linda Ima, and went to school with our kids, grew up with them. And today he has an afro. I mean, his hair is like up to here. And I said, don't we look alike now? <laughs> Just kidding. My hair is getting less and less. But, I mean, he's a beautiful young man. He works with kids who have special needs now. And... Uh, he loves the Lord. We're just so uh, thankful for him and for his life. 
I told Joe I was at a, a recent meeting in an Arab village uh, near our home, and uh, they were having an outreach. It was a summer camp for children, and they had about 100 kids there, and fifth, about 50% were from Christian homes and 50% from Muslim homes. And uh, they were sharing the gospel with them, and one young lady uh, came up afterwards. She was a leader, and she said, I want to thank you, and I said, for what? She said, well, 18 years ago, my mother was going to abort me, and you saved my life. I didn't know about that. And uh, it was really amazing, you know, when you think about the Lord, when we do something for the Lord by his initiative, we never know what the results are going to be. And uh, so we're just thankful for this young lady and uh, the fact that the Lord has raised her up in the body of Christ there in Israel and uh, that she's leading other children to the Lord. So it's uh, amazing. I think on, on the way here, Lisa was talking about Aaron Judge, this guy for the New York Yankees. <laughs> Hits all these home runs. What, 62 home runs? Is that right? Is this here? Amazing. And he was adopted as a kid. So, you know, you never know what the Lord's going to do. Look at Moses. I mean, Pharaoh wanted to throw Moses in the Nile River and drown him. But his mother saw beauty in him, and he was put in this little ark and floated. And you know Moses means the one who's drawn out. And, uh, of course, he was raised in Pharaoh's household, grew up. And look how the Lord used him. It says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through our Lord Jesus Christ. Moses. They talk a lot about Moses and Israel and the law and stuff. We talk a lot about Jesus Christ. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what's happening now is uh, the gospel is, is going out in Israel, mainly through uh, the internet. And we have a group, they're not very well liked. Like Paul wasn't liked very much. He was chased a lot, right? <laughs> and in prison a lot. Well, these are called Jews for Jesus. And this group is discipling. They have a group in Israel, a large group, and they're discipling Israelis from all backgrounds. Israel's mainly a secular country, about 80% secular, 20% religious. And uh, many of young people are coming to the Lord. And they're just, they have many questions, need a lot of counseling. And uh, so these guys are getting them in the word to dig for answers, seek their Messiah. And uh, they're reading Isaiah 53, which is kind of the forbidden book in Israel. You know, at the synagogue, Isaiah 53 is not read. It's jumped over, Isaiah 52 and three. But uh, we're able to get it out. Some of the uh, Israeli believers have actually pu published that in our newspapers uh, there in Israel. Idiot Akronot, it's called. And uh, Mariv. And uh, so it's amazing because most Israelis think Isaiah 53 is in the New Testament. <laughs> you know, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. What the Lord has laid on him and the iniquity of us all. And when we tell them it's in their, your own Bible, you know, <laughs> it's like they can't believe it. That's Isaiah, the prophet. And that many of them don't know Micah 5, 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, even the religious. They mainly study what we call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but they don't know their own prophets. You know what's really cool in Hebrew? In the Hebrew Bible, I know we've got to end soon, Joe, but in the Hebrew Bible, we call it the Tanakh, the Old Testament. That means the Torah, the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the writings. Well, the last book in the Hebrew Bible, you know what book that is? 
Second Chronicles. And if you look at the last verse, it's the words of Cyrus, the king who said, the Lord's servant, who said, who is there among you? Let him go and make Aliyah. And that's what's happening today. The last words in their Bible is go and immigrate to Israel. And that's what's happening. That's what the Lord is doing. You know, Peter, people wonder about the second coming. When is Jesus coming? Well, Peter gives a pretty direct answer if we look at Acts, I think it's 421. He says, whoops, I think it's 321. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lord. Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient time. In other words, Jesus is not going to come back until God keeps his promises that he's given through his holy prophets. All those promises, and they speak of Israel being saved. Israel coming to the Lord. Who can do that? Yeshua. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. He's already begin, begun to save his people there. And we're, we trust that we'll see thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of Israelis come to the Lord. And there will be a battle, just like in the book of Acts. <laughs> I mean, already you don't have to ask for persecution in Israel. All you have to do is say his name, Yeshua, and uh, <laughs> rocks will be flying. Uh, we've had fellowships uh, that have been burned down. We've had fellowships where bricks have come through the windows. It's normal. You know, the kingdom of God comes with persecution. But that's a joy. You know, even in Thessalonica, says that, you know, they were heavily persecuted and yet they were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They turned from idols to serve the living God and wait for his son from heaven. These believers, the word of the Lord rang out from them all over Macedonia and Acacia. Wow. They really had something, you know. And Paul, he said, I've only, I've not just given you the gospel, I'm giving you my life. I love you guys. And I know that's how Joe and Lisa feel about each of you in this congregation, that they really love you guys and they're going to be there for you in your hard times and your good times. And uh, so I'm really thankful, Linda and I, for a blessed hope. Jana, we're glad you're here tonight. We heard her testimony when we were in Arizona and praise the Lord that he's our Savior, that he sets us free. In John 8, 31, 32, it says, there were Jews who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus said to them, if you abide in me, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what happened to me. My life was being threatened. I was in wrong relationships. And thank God for the mercy he had on me. There was a Christian who came in a Safeway store where I was checking out groceries and stocking shelves at night. And he said to me, isn't Jesus good? I got so angry at that guy. I used to be a weightlifter in those days. And I, I wanted to punch this guy for saying that to me. I was so angry. He didn't have the right to tell me Jesus was so good. <laughs> well, he did. And I looked out the window. I turned around and I saw this guy. And he was at the window of my store praying for me. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> so do pray. Do pray for others who need the Lord because we never know how the Lord's going to answer those prayers. 
So as I close tonight, I just want to again remind you that Paul said a prayer in Romans 10.1 that Israel would be saved, that Israel would come to salvation. And all that's happening today, I believe in our world, everything that's being shaken up that we've known as being solid and it's not anymore and times are getting more troubling. It's just signs that the Messiah is gonna come back. Get ready, get ready. Stay in his word, be filled with his word, be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will help you to endure and persevere through the hard times. He's always faithful, he's always there for us. He could even provide in famine. We've heard, heard so many stories from friends who've been in countries where there are famines and the Lord has provided food for them. Just like with Elijah and the raven. I mean, it's real. It's all real. There was a friend uh, going through the city of Cana on the bus. She was on a tour to Israel. Cana, she said, that's real, Nazareth. It's a real city. I mean, it's really there. So this book, this book is alive. God's word is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, Paul wrote, or whoever wrote, Hebrews wrote, okay? So, Joe, did you want to have a time of question and answers? Do we have time? Yeah, come on up, Joe. I told Joe if there's any pastoral questions, we'll just rely on <laughs> the wisdom the Lord gives Joe. So, if you have any questions on Israel... Right. So what, what's the inside on that? Just, like, oh, yeah, you want to use a, oh, oh, you want to go up to the mic, bro? Because the people that are okay. listening by live stream, that way they can hear you, bro. Thank you, brother. He's asking about the red heifers if you're listening by live stream. That way our live stream audience can get in on the Q&A. I told Teddy, I go, no, you handle it. You can do really good. You can, Israel questions, you've been living there all year. He goes, no, I want to bring you up. Okay, so the only reason I'm up here, I was trying not to. Yeah. I want you guys to hear from Ted. But we ahead. love Joe. <laughs> so this story really hit me between the eyes because right. I lived in Dallas and actually was a personal trainer close right. to Rockwall, Texas, which is where they picked these red heifers from. So when I heard they were pulled from Rockwall, I was just like, oh, my gosh. <clears throat> and I had a girlfriend that uh, – recently passed away. She loved the Lord and she battled some of the same things I've battled in my life personally. Mm. And um, she's actually from Rockwall and she just recently passed. So it was just like, oh my gosh, they, they found these five red heifers, picked them out of 21 and shipped them to Israel. So what, what's the prophetic significance? Perhaps is the first question, and then the second question is, do you have any insight living there as to what the timing is, timing is going to be for them to sacrifice them or if they're mm -hmm. going to sacrifice them? And if, and if that pertains to the, uh, the abomination of desolation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Good question. Did you want to take it? You want me to? You go first. I'll okay. Up, well, actually, Kelly asked us that question last night, and it's quite you know exciting news. It's on a lot of the media about this Temple Mountain Foundation group uh, with the ashes of the red heifer. heifer. Uh, I think it's a lot of hype. Uh, you know, Jesus said, 
When you see these things happen, lift up your head. Your salvation draws nearer. What we're looking for is a second coming of Messiah. What they're about, the Temple Mount Foundation Group, we know them personally. They're into the new age. They don't believe the prophets. They don't serve Jesus as the Messiah. They hate Jewish believers and Arab believers as well. Uh, Joe, you've met some of them, actually. You were there. And uh, we love these guys. We're praying for them, that they would come to know Messiah. And uh, the ashes of the red heifer is, of course, something that was used in the Old Testament sacrifice in the temple. Uh, The thing is, is that there's only one mediator, it says, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus is our sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that the Actually, there was a veil in the temple that was rent, curtain top to bottom, opening a new and living way. And so, uh, whereas Israel, the, this group, which is actually a cult group, uh, I could, we could actually take you to where they are in Jerusalem. It's in the Jewish quarter. Uh, they have actually used terrorism, even on the Temple Mount, uh, to threaten other people's lives. Our security forces have had to deal with them. There's one MK in the Knesset, in our Knesset, who is actually part of that party. And now they're thinking of not allowing him even to run in Israel because it's just so dangerous for Israeli security. And uh, when you talk about the abomination of desolation, of course, there will be a third temple. But the one to be served in that third temple and coming to that is the Antichrist, not the Christ. Amen. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Ted, uh, appreciate that. Uh, because we're, the Temple Institute that is making all the implements to prepare for the building of the Third Temple, there is a prophetic significance to uh, the red heifers in the sense of preparing the way for the Third Temple, which prepares the way for the abomination of desolation, uh, which is kind of interesting. You have Christians working with Jews trying to bring the red heifers. The guy who bred the red heifers from that, he's a believer, and he says he's, you know, trying to brought the red heifers to them because, and so forth. But as Christians, I don't think that that's our job because that's going to be a temple that is being used to by people that are denying Christ. But they're going to eventually, the Antichrist is going to sit in that temple showing himself that he's God. So I don't believe that Christians ought to be uh, trying to rebuild that temple because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't dwell in temples anymore made with hands. Uh, it's designated as the temple of God because it's, for the Jews, that it represents God and so forth. And one day the Antichrist will sit in that temple. The prophetic significance is interesting, though, because uh, when I visited the Jewish, uh, the Temple Institute a, few, a couple times now, and it's, you know, they're just Jewish folks that are trying to rebuild the temple and trying to get everything ready. Well, one of the things that's been hard to get ready is one of the requirements, one of the things you need is a red heifer. Uh, and then, because it's hard to get a red heifer. And they've been trying to get red heifers for years, right? And this guy sent five over there. And those five, those five red heifers, they've been separated into two batches. And they're now growing. And they have to make sure they continue to grow. And they don't have any blemishes on them. According to Numbers, if you want to look it up, it's in Numbers chapter 19. And they can't have any blemishes. They've got to be fully red. So if they develop white spots or there's a little bit of white that comes on the neck or the head, they'll be disqualified. Uh, the significance is, is that Uh, The red heifers were to be, a red heifer was to be uh, given as a burnt offering. It's ashes mixed with water. And it was used for the cleansing of the the Koinahim or the uh, Kohen. The Kohanim would be the the priest. You've heard some say, well, how do the Jews know which ones are the priests? Well, if you ever met a Jewish guy named Kohen, that means priest. So he's probably from the priesthood line in some way, right? So the Kohanim, uh, they rely on a red heifer for the cleansing of somebody who is 
touched a corpse, if you ever touched a dead body. And so all these years that Israel's been around, and, you know, and they consider that the nation has been polluted through death for many, many years. And uh, red heifers were necessary to be part of the implements to actually bring the temple about because you need the things in place. But they just didn't have a red heifer. Well, now they have red heifer. So this, what this does do prophetically, at least, uh, not that it'll be these red heifers, who knows, uh, but the Jews feel like before we can really build the temple, we want to have everything in place, including the red heifers. So there's five red heifers, and maybe one of those will be part of this end-time scenario where they feel they now have the license to actually build the temple because that it, it's in place. Amen. But uh, there's, as Ted said, uh, we don't look to personally. Prophetic significance, yes, but I know you're aware, we're aware that Christ is the final sacrifice. It is finished. Amen. And he's the one that gave his life for us. And all those sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice. And cleansing only comes through his precious blood, which I know we know. Amen. Yeah, right. And that's going to just set up. It's, it's got a prophetic significance in the sense of uh, paving the way for the temple and the Antichrist. But also, as Ted said, when Jesus said, when you see these things taking place, look up for your redemption is drawing nigh. There's all kinds of signs. So you can definitely, uh, red heifer is probably a sign as well, but we'll see if it's these red heifers we don't know. One other part. The scriptures say quick in the day of his appearing, right? Well, there's, that's two sides of the coin. One, the father alone knows when Jesus will come, right? Only his father. And he hasn't revealed it to anybody I know. <laughs> A lot of people that have guessed at it. Even Chuck Smith was wrong, and I love Chuck. Yeah. Uh, how do we do that also? Well, by sharing the gospel. You see, God... We're waiting on the Lord, but he's waiting on us. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not just Christians, but disciples. Amen. Those who truly serve Jesus, not as just as Savior, but as Lord, who are yielded to his leadership and following Messiah uh, with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord, brother. I just want to say thank you for encouraging the body of Christ. And uh, my question is uh, more directed towards uh, Leviticus uh, where it talks, uh, 23, where it talks about the festivals and the feast days, specifically about the Feast of Booths. Um, having been a Christian for a long time, this is new to me, digging and seeking through the Old Testament because the prophet um, Zechariah talks about how all nations will come and celebrate this festival. And I recently found in um, John 7, chapter 7, verse 10, it talks about that Jesus even celebrated uh, the Feast of Booths in secret. Uh, it, can you just, uh, I'm just, m my question is, uh, how is it over there? Like, uh, because I've seen, you know, YouTube videos and different, like, like how, how can we celebrate this as a Christian, like following Christ's footsteps? Like, I'm sure you have more of an inside, and I've been to synagogues, and how they celebrate is way much different than I can imagine in Israel, pretty much God's holy land. What's your name? Uh, uh, <laughs> Ryan, do you want my, uh, my Hebrew name? Uh, oh, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Svenya, yeah. Svenya, okay. Yeah. Ryan, thank you, bro. I love yeah. your smile. I saw you smiling there. <laughs> um, that's a really good question, and uh, we do have the privilege of... Uh, being over there in, in Israel now for 40 plus years, uh, what I would say is that we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the feast. And uh, he used uh, feast uh, also to proclaim 
who he was as the Messiah, as the light of the world. And uh, what we do during the Feast of Booths, of course, this reminds us of the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, especially when the people return back to the book and it says, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and perform it in Israel. Hi, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy's a very dear brother. <laughs> Sorry for that intrusion for a minute. But uh, anyway, uh, in Israel, we build booths. We actually live in them with our children. We had like on our balcony, we usually with the branches and everything, just like Nehemiah talks about, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And uh, it's a way of honoring God as king. We just had the Jewish New Year, we call Rosh Hashanah. In Israel, it's 5783 since the day of creation. Okay, so we don't believe in evolution. Pepsi tried to come in, they didn't succeed. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so yes, the, the Lord uh, you know, even his brothers, it said, didn't believe him. At one time later, his brothers became believers, as you know, as you read through Jude and you read through uh, Jacob, James, what we call James, uh, that Jesus had brothers uh, who did follow him and were leaders in the early church. Uh, but anyway, we believe that Jesus has fulfilled all those, especially tabernacles where it says that the word became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and tabernacled among us. So he's the fulfillment of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. But all the feasts, you can look at them all, first fruits, every feast, Jesus fulfilled every one of them. Yeah, amen. So, uh, which is, you know, try to bring a little bit of the prophetic significance since you mentioned Zechariah as well to add on to that a little bit. Is yeah, so in Colossians it says, let no one judge you according to a Sabbath day or a feast day because those were shadows and the realities found in Christ. So Ted is a New Covenant believer, he's Jewish, he's, and the Jewish Messianic believers uh, that aren't under the Galatian heresy, the Judaizers, understand that they're free from the law, and that Christ is, for instance, Ted and Linda's Sabbath, he's the rest, they don't have to keep Saturday, uh, he's the Passover, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ our Passover sacrificed for us, the unblemished lamb, uh, killed on Passover day, amen. Uh, he tabernacled with us, Feast of Tabernacles, uh, with regard to the libation and the water being poured out from the rock as they celebrated that feast. He's at that feast. He goes to the feast, but he says, you know, come with me. He says, and I'll give you water, you know, living water, right? So he's always fulfilling these feasts. Even, even, a, even a holiday that wasn't the feast that the Jews had made up, you know, which is pretty cool, you know, the Feast of Lights, you know, and he goes there and he's... I am the light of the world, you know? So we can use uh, things. Some people say, well, Christmas isn't in, in the Bible. Well, it was a feast of lights, but they use it, Jesus used the opportunity to show who he was. So we can say on Christmas, you know, Jesus is the answer. If you're giving out gifts, it's not about Santa Claus. You want to pick a day, we don't know when he was born, but hey, Jesus was, is the Messiah. So uh, he is our, he is, he, it's all, it's all, he's our all in all, right? But it's interesting you mentioned Zechariah uh, 14. Because I think there's prophetic significance there. And uh, that was interesting. You're seeing there's a connection. Because on the Feast of Booths, it was celebrating the fact that they were set free from Egypt. And they were wandering in the wilderness, going to the Promised Land. And we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. You're basically camping with your dad, you know, on your way to Jerusalem and uh, wow. back in the day. And you're reliving that experience so you can understand what the Lord was doing. And when, well, why in Zechariah 14 do you have Gentile nations? That's what you're asking. It's a very interesting thing. And this is just my opinion, okay? Because there's no scripture that says this is what this is, right? So we have to just say, okay, what might be going on here? And I personally believe that uh, 
then Israel left Egypt and was going into the promised land. And now, in Zechariah chapter 14, before that, we read in the first couple of verses that when Jesus comes back, his, he'll land on the Mount of Olives, you know, and they'll cleave in, in two, it'll be this huge earthquake. And the nations, they will set their weapons on, upon one another. People will be standing up and their eyes and their, their tongues will, will, will be consumed, you know. Some would say that's thermonuclear war. Some would say that's the fire of the Lord at his return. Uh, could be a combination of both. We don't know exactly for sure. But at that time, after he comes back at his second coming, he wipes out all the beast worshipers who have the mark of the beast on their right hand or on their forehead. And, uh, well, Zechariah 12, two chapters earlier, right, uh, they see him whom they pierced. Right in the Jewish Bible, Tanakh, that the Jews will see the one they pierced. No more from his one born to his only son. Chapter 13, verse 1, a fountain of cleansing is open to them. So Jews get into the, into the kingdom after they see Christ, those who are calling. Blessed who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, and his hearts have been prepared. All Israel saved at that point. Zechariah 14, what about these Gentile nations now? Uh, those, it says those who are left from the nations that went up against the Lord at Israel, right? And we know at Armageddon, that's what they'll do. There'll be people that are left from those nations. And the question is, who in the world's left after Armageddon, you know? And my personal opinion is, because all the beast worshipers are doomed, Revelation 14, there's no chance for them. All the believers have been raptured, second coming of Christ. The Jews who are crying out for Messiah after they, who have rejected Christ, but they're still crying out for Messiah. And then he opens their eyes as they were opening their eyes with Joseph. And they saw Joseph was the savior, so to speak, back in the, uh, in, uh, with Jacob's sons, you know. And in Joseph, there was weeping and everything. The Jews will weep. So we've got the non-believers. They're condemned. Mark of the beast. They're the, the goats on the left hand. We've got the believers. They're with Christ. We're going to reign with him. Touch down with him at the second coming. Caught up. Touch down with him. The Jews are going to the believing Jews. that come to side. They go to the promised land. Who's this group that's left? Well, I believe it's the young people. Because you remember who went into the promised land after all. All those that were under 20 when their parents had sinned. They weren't held accountable. And how are these, these young people going to be held accountable and doomed? But they won't be doomed because they'll be given a choice to go up once a year and worship the Lord and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or booze, as you said. So now they have an opportunity that says if they obey the Lord, they're going to be blessed. But if they reject the Lord and they don't go up to the Feast of Tabernacles or celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, this will be the plague that will be upon them. You know, it says there will be no rain on their land and so forth. So it's quite interesting I think that's the probation for those people who had not yet been given a choice to now go and worship the Lord or not during the millennial period. And if you die at 100, you'll be considered a, a, a baby, it says, you know. So they'll be reproducing, they'll be growing and so forth. And, uh, and the Feast of Booths, just like they left Egypt, the Jews, God's giving them an opportunity to leave the, their paganism and go worship the Lord of glory in Jerusalem and know the Lord. And it's a time of a time of a, a choice for the millennial people who had not yet come to Christ. The good news on this side of it is you and me and us, we know Jesus already, you know, and we get to reign with him in resurrected bodies and praise God. And just, we're, 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 we've already done our probation and if you found Jesus, great. If you haven't, you need to find Jesus. But that's just my understanding, you know, and there's some speculation there. So I'm not saying thus saith the Lord with some of the speculation, but it, that's what makes most sense to me. Does that kind of make sense? 
Every young lady who's had an abortion. You know, I show one film, it's 11 former abortionists that stopped doing abortions and became believers. And uh, that's God's heart. He wants to save not just the woman, the child, the, the man involved in it, but also the doctors that are shedding innocent blood. He has a heart for them. He longs for them. You know, Paul, consider, I know Joe and your teaching talk about, Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. Paul was persecuting the early church. Men, women, children, he dragged them off from their homes. He even went up to Damascus to do that when the Lord met him, changed his heart. And uh, so the consequences of shedding innocent blood are that you'll lose sovereignty over your country. Your country will lose everything. If we don't put God first, it says, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. But if he's not the Lord, the opposite, what happens is that we allow our gates to be broken into from outside. And uh, judgment of God brings righteousness and his righteousness brings peace. And uh, I believe it's because of the believers in the land, just like Abraham was praying to the Lord, Lord, if there's finally, if there's only 10 righteous, would you spare? And uh, the Lord said, I will, just 10 righteous. And of course, we know Sodom and Gomorrah, it happened. <laughs> Joe's been there, right? It's rained down sulfur on There's these cities. There's sulfur there to this very day all over the place. We have the Dead Sea. What There's no the volcanoes there. They don't like, yeah. where did this come from? Yeah. Well, we know where it came from. So it, it rained heaven. from heaven. Yeah. And God sent this as, as a warning. And so I think we need to really be in the fear of God, <laughs> you know, because of what we, that we're all responsible. We're all responsible. We all have blood on our hands. Isaiah 59 talks about our hands are covered with blood. And Yeshua shed his blood for us so that we would be forgiven. Amen. And we do need to use what time, whatever time he allows us to get out his good news and to offer his salvation to as many people as we can. Amen. And, and praise God, there's things that we can do. And we, I don't feel we should hightail it. And this, is the, this state needs Jesus, you know. So I feel, you know, I'm honored to be able to be on the front lines. They persecute you and you can't preach the gospel. He says they persecute you in one city. Flee to the next. Well, guess what? They haven't knocked down my door yet. And I'll say right now, right publicly, you know, uh, Newsom is a wicked, wicked man, man, gloating in his rebellion against God and uh, promoting the murder of innocent little children. He's got some political power, but before God, he's less than an ant, you know. And we serve the, the, the mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we need to stand up to the state and speak the truth in love prophetically and say, hey, you know what? Thou art the man, you know. You didn't kill Uriah. You're, you're, you're sponsoring the murder of, of countless little children, you know. And I feel like we need to stand up to the state in the name of Jesus and declare truth. And in this country, we still have the freedom of speech to a degree, you know. Uh, so why not use it, you know. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, personally, uh, being living here in California, I mean, the Lord had me born here. And when he tells me to leave, I'll leave, you know. But for the time being, if we can speak prophetically to the state that, you know, you better repent. Yeah, Jesus died for him too, though, keep in mind. Died for Newsom, died for Joe Biden. He died, and we're supposed to pray for our leaders as well. But so we cry out to the Lord on their behalf, but we also don't act like everything's peachy and everything's good and universalism, everything can be saved in the end. That's a lie, you know. So we believe that we're supposed to, and praise God, we have a, a beautiful night tomorrow, hopefully, where a Korean gentleman who was aborted but survived the abortion will be speaking at the CPC uh, banquet we're going to. And praise the Lord, Carol, I think I saw your text of, if I remember right, I saw your text, but if I, if I remember right, it was seven tables we have. 
That's, that's uh, 10 to a table, right? So is that about 10 to a table? I thought it was cheaper. I thought it, because the price had gone up through the years, so I'm thinking my wife always pays 20 bucks, but it's like 75 bucks a head now. But that money, the, the extra money that goes beyond the food goes to save babies, so I'm not complaining, you know. But uh, we've got 70 people or so that potentially can show up from our church, which is a really good representative from a church that's not giant, you know, but has a lot of people with giant hearts that love Jesus. So there's things we could do and we could stand up. The main thing is we don't forget the gospel and that we proclaim the gospel to those and let the women know and the men, because men are as guilty as the women who've encouraged them in abortions and haven't been there for the women. It's not a woman's sin. It's just human sin. And that, that we all need to get forgiveness through Christ and repent of that sin. Amen. And stand up for the unborn because the consequences will be hellacious. But guess what? Lot and his family got taken out. Amen. So we just remain faithful to Jesus and salvation is the Lord. And he's got us and we're not appointed to his wrath. Amen. And he'll get us through tribulations and troubles and deliver us in the end. But in the meantime, we need to be faithful and occupy till he comes, it says. Amen. Amen. So Praise rescue God. those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering to the slaughter. And just say, Lord, okay, you know the issues at hand, the stake. How would you use me? The Lord says, who will I send? Who will go for me? Who will stand up against the evildoer? It's not easy to do that. So we need to begin by praying, humbling ourselves and seeking the Lord giving our hearts to him and saying, Lord, use me, whether it's babysitting for a single mom or being at an abortion clinic praying or being in a crisis pregnancy center, speaking up for the child, for the mother, for the father involved. Yeah, Carol and several other people yeah. have been involved in this, uh, like Ted and Linda, they're involved cutting edge starting the CPCs or starting uh, clinics, I should say CPCs, but clinics in, in Israel when they weren't happening yet, which is part of the legacy of their ministry, which is beautiful. But uh, other people, like Leanne, was leading in Glendale, and my sister Peggy is working full-time over in Idaho. Leanne's actually working in Idaho as well, CPC. Brothers and sisters here. It was a great thing to do. Hey, we got, we'll, we'll take some more questions, but if you have anybody up in nursery, we've already gone like, what, 15, 20 minutes over. Sorry. So if you could bring, no, 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 you be sorry. Uh, I, we want to care about those little kids and also those who are taking care of them. So if you have a kid in nursery, if you could bring them down. After talking so much about how much we love babies, if you bring your baby down and they're screaming and crying, <laughs> no one's going to say a thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, had a, I had an Orthodox Jewish man uh, come to my office, uh, crisis center in Jerusalem, and he said, I perform abortions in the Orthodox community. This is the Orthodox community, religious community in Jerusalem. And uh, he said, I pro uh, so explain yourself. He said, I provide abortifacients, which make the womb unfriendly to sustain life because most abortions today are chemical. And um, so anyway, uh, I said to him, uh, really? <laughs> I was shocked because he was an Orthodox Jew, religious Jew and religious garb and all that. And I said, do you know what it, it says in Leviticus? Uh, and I read him the scripture where the life is in the blood. And he said, I never saw that before. I said, do you know what day the baby's heart starts beating? Well, Dr. Nathan has Nathanson has sent us his stethoscope to Israel. And as early as the 18th day through the 23rd day, the baby's heart starts beating. You know, stop a beating heart, some of the uh, bumper stickers say. And he said to me, I didn't know that. He said, really? I mean, he was just blown away because his own scriptures convicted him 
of his sin and his need to get right with God. And he went, he just fled from my, he just disappeared, just ran. Uh, he was so shocked. Here he was doing something, thinking it was right, and yet it was directly against the word of God. And he was putting to death little innocent religious kids. So sad. Because people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And that's what we're to do. We're to bring the knowledge of the Lord. Blessed are those, Jeremiah said, who fear him, who make known him, who know him and walk with him. And see, that's what we need in our world, to be light and salt. Jesus said, you, I am the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. That your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen, absolutely. You know, it's interesting, uh, we were talking about Revelation chapter 9, 16 uh, recently and how some of the things mentioned there, what the world refuses to repent of is murder, you know, and drugs, right, and so forth. And it's interesting because those two things go together often. And when you see the word drugs there, it's the Greek word pharmakeia. We talk about that and it's used for hallucinogens and illicit drugs and mind-altering drugs and ayahuasca today and DMT and, you know, LSD, all these different types of mushrooms and, you know, uh, ecstasy, all these types of mind-expanding drugs. Uh, and the early church fathers used the word pharmakeia of those types of drugs that open you up to the demonic world, how they're mixed in cauldrons and so forth. But, you know, what's interesting, I was sharing with Ted, uh, Linda, uh, earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, that the way the word pharmakeia is used most in the early church fathers is of drugs that are used to kill babies in the womb. Isn't that interesting? And it says they won't repent of their murders and their pharmakeia. So I believe there's also that application in the last days that these abortion drugs would be on the radar, God's radar, that people won't repent of using them as well. Because it just it doesn't refer to some illicit drugs, but drugs that open up the demonic world, the world, drugs that are used to poison and kill. Uh, and the church fathers also talk about that pharmakeia being used to poison and kill. speaking on this or asking this question, but um, I'd like to provide a different perspective, perhaps from God's perspective, that one of his principles is <clears throat> that if a woman chooses to have an abortion and she's condemned by it, in other words, convicted, like from the Holy Spirit, that if she goes through with this, she, condemnation will be on her head versus, say, the woman that is cheated on by her husband and is feeling abandoned by him and for a long time and she winds up getting pregnant she goes into the abortion clinic without really that conviction and it's more out of sadness that she gets that abortion and if she follows through with that condemnation perhaps isn't on her head so so in that case it seems to me that, that God is sovereign and powerful enough not to endow that fetus with the human spirit or with a soul to feel the pain of that abortion process. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, just in response to that, that's obviously it's highly speculative to say that God didn't a put us... Like, a like how right. Stephen, right. a lot like how Stephen didn't feel any yeah. pain when he left, when he well, was stoned. It doesn't or, say it feel any pain, but just to respond to that, there's, it's hard to prove that God doesn't put a spirit 
in a particular body because the mother is doing it out of sadness rather than out of, uh, you know, just being convicted and going through with it. So that would be highly speculative. And also, I don't believe it would be just, I love you, bro, but I don't believe it's totally scriptural because the Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. So that baby's body couldn't be alive if it didn't have a spirit in it. So you see what I'm saying? It says in James 2, the body without the spirit is dead. But I appreciate you parsing, which I know where your heart's at. You're trying to parse. There's people that come with different hearts, you know? And one is like, I just want to get rid of this baby. I don't care. The other one's in despair, you know? But at the same time, both those people that commit both those acts, whether I commit something because uh, I'm just going to do it, I want to get rid of the baby, or because I'm sad, if I kill my child, I kill my child, it's still murder, you know? So uh, there's different degrees of knowledge, though, different degrees of, of knowledge when somebody sets into sin, and to the degree that you know something is wrong, to that degree you're held more responsible. So I, I believe you can't argue that some are going to be more responsible than others. For instance, a woman who's taught that it's just tissue in her body versus one who's seen an ultrasound or knows it's a living baby, one's going to be more responsible than the other, you know? But still, it's killing a baby. No means trying to give anyone a pass for that yeah. act. Yeah, and I just want to make I'm, sure... I'm just, simply, yeah. I'm just simply saying that our God's powerful enough to, to know what the outcome of that is going to be, for that, what the decision is ultimately going to be for that person, yeah. regardless of where they're coming from, right. uh, and what their intentions are, if they're impure, if they're right. in their heads, in their sick minds, pure. Right. Uh, and that he isn't a cruel God, so why, so why would he endow that body with the spirit if they're only going to but why would he, suffer, why, suffer pain and then leave? Yeah, you know? why would he endow any baby's body with a spirit? Because the baby has nothing to do with the mother's intent one way or another. It's still going to suffer the same way. So to me, the mercy God does allow, he allows us to go in shock when we experience a certain amount of pain. So it may be that the children don't, we don't know how much pain they, want to, they experience, so I don't want to speculate on that. No. But to say that this child would experience more pain than this child based on the intent of the mother when they're going through the same exact type oh, of no, abortion. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah, I would say that, that I was that's just hard. saying God's merciful and, yeah. he can Somehow numb, he's and he can yeah. numb the pain senses. Yeah, let's pray that that happens for sure. Yeah. Amen. That, yeah. That maybe we should be praying that too, is that God, please spare the children, but if they're not spared, you know, don't let them suffer too much, you know. Amen. But the main thing is to pray that they don't get executed, you know, which is, it's all executions the same way, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but doesn't the scripture also say that, that, that even though our body may be touched, that, that the Lord doesn't allow who we really are to be touched? So in other words, all the suffering we endure in this short life really just touched our body and really didn't touch who we really are. Well, which, no, is, which, is, which is our spirit. That's kind of almost Gnostic, bro, because the scriptures say in, in, uh, when we sin, we sin with our whole heart and our whole soul. And the Bible talks about being cleansed of sins of body and spirit in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. So, specifically talking about when acts of cruelty are committed against any of us. Yeah, there's no scripture that says we can feel it in the body, but we won't feel it in the spirit. You know? But can you say that? No, no I'm just saying like... like there's a tendency for Christians to want to curse their past by saying, oh, this shouldn't have happened to me and this act of cruel, cruelty shouldn't have happened to me. But ultimately, that becomes our testimony. Mm -hmm. And that becomes our God-given way of helping someone else to break those chains and ultimately lead to their salvation. The same darkness that once held us and bound us yeah. can become someone else's overcoming yeah, and that's in another, Christ. Now, you're, now you know. you're addressing another issue, and I would just say this, is that 
if I don't really feel pain back here because God saves me from the pain, how can I really comfort someone who's really feeling pain later? So I feel like God does allow us to feel a degree of pain. But I also believe he allows us to go to a shock at a certain point where we can only experience so much pain because of his mercy. We all have a point where he doesn't allow us to go through more than we can handle without his grace. But we have to avail ourselves of that grace. And I believe God's grace is on the children. Josiah, I'm sorry. He keeps putting his hand up. Hi, Ted. I just, for me and the whole church, I wanted to know if you had any uh, ways that we could be praying for Israel specifically in this time. Anything Absolutely. Specific? Great, great question. Romans 10.1, for Amen. Israel's salvation. That's it, in a nutshell. The prayer that Paul prayed, agree with that prayer and be part of its fulfillment. Come to Israel, come visit your brothers and sisters, your family there, especially those that are on the front lines that are paying the price. Jewish and Arab Amen. believers, precious, precious. We're so privileged, Lynn and I, to work with them and serve them. We become like parents to a lot of the leaders there and we're just so privileged. I, I, I mean, the Lord is, like the book of Acts, is happening in Israel today. Ted, you have to share with them. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot sure, bro. <laughs> because I've shared this story, but it'd be better coming from you because you shared it with me. Okay. And it was, I'll tell the first part of the story, but then I want him to share the second part of the story. Before he tells the story, and we can maybe end with this, is uh, unless somebody's like, man, I really want to ask a question. Praise God. We don't want to be like, man, I wish I could ask my question. Ted's going to be here for a little bit afterwards. I've got uh, uh, a couple people from Arizona I'm supposed to spend some time with before we get together later tonight. So I've got to make a beeline out of here uh, so they can get back. <laughs> sure when exactly you guys are leaving. Uh, we don't usually go this late, but praise the Lord. God is good. I think we used to meet up to 9 o'clock before, so we're still early if we go back to our old time. But uh, it's good to see everybody staying, you know. Maybe there's 50, 60 people here still, which is great. Uh, but I just want to say this, is that uh, we will be, not this coming year, but the following year, we're going to be doing, everybody's, so many people coming to us, when are you going to Israel again? So not this coming year, but the following year, if you save up money, uh, we're going to Israel and taking another tour there. So if you want to be part of that trip, I think last time we had 60, 70 people from this fellowship and elsewhere. I can't remember exactly, but a lot of people. And uh, Ted and Linda make great hosts, and we meet all kinds of other people. And we're going to see places you don't see. And you can't sign up for an Israel tour and do what we, last time we did Jeep trips with ex-military people that were taking us to the border of Syria and explaining the plans the Muslims have and what they're doing, just crazy stuff. But the, the thing I want Ted to share, because I thought this was a beautiful story, and it kind of segues along with Josiah's question, is, was uh, years ago, one of my first trips to Israel. And Ted and I, Ted and I met each other at LAX because somebody said, hey, I want you to meet my friend Ted. And I didn't realize she didn't know Ted very well. And she told Ted, I want you to meet my friend Joe. And she didn't know me really well either. And I said, well, I'm going to meet her good friend. And she knew, I knew, you know, and uh, we met each other. I went down to LAX. I said, just going to be a good, good brother and drive all the way down there. My name, who is this guy? And boom, the Lord made history because we've done a lot of trips, not just to Israel, but to Netherlands and shaking the world by the grace of God to a degree as a, as a team uh, with Ted and Linda. But we'll be going there. But first or second trip I was there, it might have been the first trip. You had me speak at five different churches and uh, was with uh, Calvary Chapel tour. They all left and I stayed behind. I got left behind by the pre-trevers, you know. Anyways, uh, but it was a great time, but one of the places we went to was, he said, I want to take you to Haifa, the port there. And uh, 
because what was happening with Gustav, with Operation Exodus, massive Jews were being brought back from Ukraine and, and mainly from Russia to their homeland, making area, leaving the immigrants, you know, coming back. And they speak Russian and they, you know, some Hebrew. And, and we went on the ships and, and we're reading the scriptures to them that the Gentiles will bring you back on their shoulders. And Ted put a little girl on his shoulders and I put a little girl on my shoulders. I said, Ted, I want to share with them that this is prophetic. Gentiles are bringing them back into the land. They're coming back after how many generations? Could be 10, 20, or whatever. They're coming back into the land. They're, they're just getting off the ship. They're, they're not even off the ship yet. We're on the ship. They're like, and I said, who are these guys? Well, we're on the ship, and man, we're telling them, look what the scriptures say in Isaiah and the prophets, you know, that you'll be brought back by Gentiles. And we have these two little girls, and we're explaining this to mama, you know, and the family. And, and it was so beautiful. But I said, now I want to share with you Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. Because in the same book, Isaiah, it talks about how the Messiah bore your sins. And his name is Jesus, right? So it was really cool. And we got to share the gospel with him and so forth. So that happened and years went by. But that was one of my highlights that I always remembered. We were the shared prophecy of Jesus and so forth. And, you know, we prayed for them and so forth. Well, guess what? Fast forward that. What, what happened? Why don't you share what happened? Just recently or a couple years I ago. I think you shared everything, but... <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, I'll add. Okay, so, so what happened, uh, I went to a birthday party. Lynn and I went to a birthday party of our nephew. He's married to an Israeli uh, who's uh, formerly a policeman. And at the party, this beautiful young lady, Christine, came. And uh, she said, uh, years ago, you and your friend, referring to Joe, put me and my sister on your shoulders, and you gave us a verse from Isaiah saying that God would beckon to the Gentiles to bring your sons and daughters home on their shoulders, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. And she said, I want you to know that all of our family have become believers in Yeshua. And uh, my fa her father's an elder and he works in prison ministry. And uh, her mother was our pro-life counselor in Tiberias, Oksana. And uh, so when we go back, uh, Joe's gonna meet them personally and yeah. hear their story. And Ted had forgotten about that. And he reminded him, I was I on did. your shoulder, my sister was on that other guy's shoulder. I didn't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I remembered it really well because well, it was God powerful. And, uh, but but <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, we're about the same age, so hey. Uh, so Josiah, praying for the salvation of Israel. You know, God works in crazy ways, amen. That just blessed my heart to think, wow. Because that was our objective. We can win the Christ, your Messiah with them. They end up coming to Jesus. Yeah, later. we say, Lehoshia am Israel, save the people of Israel. And this is the goal of the young believers in Israel, the challenge really to do what the early church did and share the gospel wherever they go, uh, not only with Jews, but with Arabs, with Muslims. We have two million Muslims in Israel. We have about seven and a half million Jews uh, in Israel and uh, more Jews now in Israel than even in the USA. So it's interesting. Uh, for this one brother who gave the thing, I just want to say God has placed eternity in our hearts. And Jesus. I'm finish up with this. Yeah. And I got an appointment, and then I'll. See I'll be real quick. <laughs> no, no, take your time. I know we're late. Uh, I was uh, privileged to speak at a crisis pregnancy uh, center meeting uh, down in San Diego, and there was a young lady named Erin. She was the director, and she told an amazing story. She was pregnant. She was not a believer and she had an abortion. She was in great pain uh, over the little boy that she lost, 
but she wasn't ready to be a mother yet. And she said she went out and the, the Lord spoke to her, said, Aaron, your little boy's with me. You're the one who's suffering. You're the one that needs help now. That opened her heart to receive the Messiah. You see, God is a God of comfort and love. He doesn't give up on anybody. He's always voting for us. We have many women in Israel who've had abortions and have come back to us for help and have then chosen life because they said everything you said to us is true. You see, in Israel, the law is that a woman must make an informed choice, so she must be told all about child development, and that's all we do. We don't tell people what to do other than seek the Lord and pray and ask for his help. We had one woman that went to the Western Wall. She was impregnated by her best friend. She was religious by her best friend's best friend. And uh, so she was planning on having an abortion, but she went to the wall and the Lord spoke to her heart and she spoke to her husband. They decided to keep the child. And we've had many women come back. We thought they've had abortions and they come back and they go, here's my child. We've never had one complaint. <laughs> they've always been so happy to give birth. But even if they've had an abortion, we don't condemn them. We, we just share that God's love with them and uh, pray for them. And it's interesting how many have become believers in Israel uh, simply because that love is there for them. Uh, God's love never changes. He never changes. He loves us. He cares about us. He died for us. And those little babies that God has put eternity in their hearts, Jesus died for them too. He has an eternity plan for them. It'll blow our mind. Paul said we cannot even comprehend the love that God has for us, the height, the depth, the width. And what is it going to be like in eternity? I don't know, but I know that Jesus will be there and uh, that he does offer forgiveness and his love to every man, woman, and child. Amen. I'm just thinking about the child, right? I'm, I'm just thinking about the child, that we don't serve a cruel God that would, that would create life in someone only for that child to endure suffering for the little time that they're in the womb. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm just yeah. thinking about the child. Well, you're right. And, and we great. But all of our suffering here can never be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. Just remember that. Uh, all of that. We would, I would never choose to suffer, uh, but God uses suffering to humble me, to help me to remember to seek him first in my life. And uh, look how the Apostle Paul suffered in sharing the gospel and all of the early believers. Matter of fact, most of the believers, if you read a book about the martyrs, there's probably more martyrs today than any place 